2: On News Radio 680 WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
2: And I'm Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner.
3: And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour.
1: Hey, Leonard. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Hi, Leonard. Deborah Lewis, CFP. How can we help you this evening, Leonard?
4: You know, how can I get my taxes reduced? Um, I've been paying an enormous amount of taxes over the years, and I seem to can't get a handle on it, so I'm trying to figure a way to reduce it.
1: Well, tell me a little bit about you, because there are both tax shelter strategies and tax shelter investments, and we utilize both of them in our office with our clients. How old are you, Leonard? I uh, just turned 50. 50 years old. All right. Are you still working? Yes. Income? Approximate? Uh, about 40000 40000 income. Married or single? Married. Wife's income? Uh, about 20000 all right. So combined income between the husband and the wife about sixty thousand. Any other income coming in? Uh,
4: yeah. But, uh, military retirement is about thousand
1: a month. So about twelve thousand military retirement. That brings you up to uh, seventy two thousand. Just trying to see what kind of tax bracket you're in and so forth. Any other income coming in? That's it. All right. Well, there are. I'm going to itemize for you the three major tax reduction strategies. You may be already utilizing them, but the first strategy, of course, is the home mortgage. Do you have a mortgage in your home? No, I don't don't own a home. You don't own a home, so that one's not available to you, okay? The second strategy in reducing taxes under the current tax law is charitable giving. Are you giving to charity? Uh, No. All right. So you're not utilizing the second one. The third one. Retirement plan contributions. Is contributing to your employer's retirement plan if you have one. Does your employer offer a retirement plan?
4: Yes, they do. 401k.
1: All right. Do they have a match? Yes. All right. And are you contributing up to the match? Uh, I'm doing about 5% of my income right now. And how much is the match? Double uh, a dollar. Dollar for dollar, how far? Up to 6% or to 5 6%. So the first thing you could do is you could increase your contribution to get rid of that. Uh, well, it does two things for you. Number one, to get that extra free money that your boss is, is offering to give you, uh, you've got to increase your portion. If you increase your portion, you also reduce your taxes. So that's the first thing that's the first thing of those 3 that you could do. If you want to call
3: us during the week to set up an appointment for yourself, give me a call at 919-872-7000 and we will get started. We'll make a list of the
1: questions that are on your mind. Now, do you have any losses? Do you have a, any personal investments, mutual funds or anything that's not in retirement accounts? No. All right. Well, the fourth item won't affect you either and that's capital loss carryovers. So of the investment strategies to reduce taxes or of the tax reduction strategies, the only one available to you is the 401k and that one of course you should do. Now the second set of of methods of reducing taxes are tax-shelter investments. And I will tell you there's only one current one under current law, and these are drilling for oil and gas. However, in your particular income range, I don't think I would recommend it for you. In other words, you can, and there are investments out there, allow you to take an 85 or even 90% tax write-off by investing in oil and gas deals. They're risky, because if you drill for oil and gas and you get zero, then you lost your money. The IRS gives you a ninety percent reduction, but it's still <laughs> it's too risky for someone at your income level. I would say but, so.
3: But let's. But but Leonard, um, when you when you began your question, you said I want to. Uh, is it do you design, Is it based on last year's taxes? You just feel that you're paying too much.
4: Boy. Um. Now I owe about ten grand, but now I'm down about five grand because I they took my return last year. So and I looked at my W-2 this year, and I paid over about twenty-five hundred in federal and about fifteen hundred in state.
1: Me and taxes would be in So, are you talking so about, about your quarterly estimates? No, I was talking about my W-2.
3: So, so you're estimating that you'll you'll pay about three thousand five hundred this year in taxes? No, no. The one I'm saying is that's I'm paying with 'Cause for my paycheck because it really took out.
1: Well, you tell them how much to take out, Leonard. That's up to right. you. They'll right. take out as much or as little as you want. Right. So I'm not sure what your question is then.
4: Well, like I said, my question is like, I just want to reduce the amount I'm paying because, like I said, I overpaid this year on purpose, so I want to pay
1: pay taxes. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. Oh, okay. Then, the way you can do that is... Go ahead, Deborah.
3: Well, I was just going to say increase the number of uh, exemptions. Right. And then and then that way you're paying zero or as low as you can on taxes.
1: Yeah, if you and increase you, the number of exemptions, tell your payroll to increase the exemptions, then they will go ahead and, and withhold less. Okay. Does that help? If we can help you any more, give us a call at the office, Leonard.
3: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Leonard, um, you know, it might be as simple as um, uh, ju- just making that instruction. But if you have any questions, give us a call.
2: And um, thank you very much for your call and good luck. And thank Thank you you. so much. Yes, thank you for your call. And Leonard, thank you so much for your service. Well, Doug, Linda, the next usual conversation piece is, well, if I'm
3: preparing for taxes, what about this cost basis?
1: That is a very big problem for many people. I would say it's even a conundrum Big question. Did you sell an investment that you held in a regular taxable account last year? If so, you better prepare for a struggle or at least a brush with this crucial but confusing area of the tax code. And it goes by the name of cost basis. And many investors find it baffling. They don't understand what is cost basis.
3: So when someone is asking you what your cost basis is or what you need to report as your cost basis, as
2: it, at its simplest, it is the original price paid for an investment.
1: That's right. That's right.
2: So but, if you purchase an investment, it's what you paid for it
3: when you bought it. That's, it. that's, that's right. right.
2: However, if a taxpayer buys a share
3: of XYZ company for $20 and sells it for 25, his cost basis is $20 and his taxable gain is 5.
1: That's right. That's exactly the way it is at its simplest form. However, it gets much more complicated than that. For example, let's say you bought a mutual fund 10 years ago for $30,000 and you sold it in 2013 for $60,000. You might think that your cost basis is 30000 and so a sale of 60000 means you're going to pay tax on $30,000 of profit. But it's possible that the tax you owe is only $10,000 because your cost basis changed. Hmm. And I know you're asking, well, how can a cost? How is that, Doug? Yeah, how does a cost basis change? Well, let's say a mutual fund that you bought is has been producing dividends along the way. And you, as most people, say, well, I don't want the dividends. Just get them reinvested Reinvested. into my mutual fund. Correct. Uh Every time one of those dividends has been going back in through the years, it's been adding to your cost basis, which is good news because that means ultimately you'll pay less taxes, okay? But keeping track of those changes in cost basis is very, very difficult. And many, you know, many taxpayers really, and many taxpayers, payers people really are struggling with cost basis record keeping because um, sometimes these 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 things transactions that you sell, can go back
3: for decades they can go back
1: for decades Actually, to help the confused and discouraged to keep them from cheating, (laughs) Congress actually passed a law requiring financial firms to track cost bases for certain assets and then report it both to the customers and to the IRS after a sale.
3: Go ahead, get started. Give us a call during the week at Lewis Financial Management. Make an appointment to sit down face-to-face and discuss your your situation. The number at our office during the week is 919 872-7000. eight seven two seven thousand that's nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand
1: so that's I mean it's there you can call your brokerage firm and ask them if they can help you with your cost basis and they may or may not be able to help you but uh it's really tricky because you can lose money easily without even realizing it now there's another whole issue on cost basis that gets even trickier and what is that doug well, and now you have to understand the rules for a basis on inherited assets and gifted assets.
3: Okay, so here, this is not something I bought and right. watched uh, my dividends be reinvested. But here's something that grandma left me. Right. I inherited, so I didn't buy it. And now I've got to figure out what the cost basis is.
1: Right. Let's say you had a $100,000 mutual fund that you inherited and you sold right after grandma died because it went to you. Okay. Well, zero taxes because your cost basis jumped up. It's called a step up in basis to the value at death. So now the basis was the value and the value was the value and there's no tax at all if you received it by inheritance. Nice. But it gets a little tricky if that $100,000 mutual fund that you sold was not inherited from grandma but grandma gave it to you the day before she died as a gift yes now you could end up with taxes as much as $30,000 hmm so it depends on whether you received it by gift or received it by inheritance the tax basis the cost basis will differ drastically so this is knowing the rules You really have to understand the rules of cost basis. And I would say the best way is to work with a certified financial planner. That's what we do with all of our clients. We track their basis on their inherited assets, on their gifted assets, on their mutual funds, and so forth. That's what your financial planner should be doing for you. And during
2: the week, if you have questions or you would like to schedule an appointment, we at Lewis Financial Management... LLC have been advising and managing client portfolios and providing comprehensive planning services to clients in the Triangle and all over the state, according to the principles set forth by the College for Financial Planning in Colorado. So, you uh, desiring services or have questions, or maybe you need someone to have a second look at your financial planning needs. Call us at Lewis Financial Management, 919 8727000. Doug, it looks like we've got a caller.
1: Bobby, how can I help you this evening? Hi, Doug. Linda, how are you this
5: evening? Fine, fine. how oh, are you?
2: Fine, thanks for calling.
5: In forming a corporation between two individuals where each owns 50% of the stock, the consideration is whether in having a cross purchase agreement for each of us to hold an insurance policy on the other partner to fund the purchase of that or to hold an insurance policy on ourselves and either will or gift our half of the corporation to the other in the event of our death. The idea is that in the event I die, right. my wife does not want any of the stock. She does not want sure. anything to do with the company.
1: Sure. That's I mean that's standard in small businesses.
5: Exactly. We're just trying to figure out the best way to handle the transfer of the stock.
1: I like the stock redemption method, to tell you the truth, best, which is not one of the two choices you made. Explain that briefly to me. Well, the question is who gets the insurance proceeds? Right. The fallacy in the one that you laid out as choice number two is that she writes it in her will that she's going to do something with the stock. Well, how does your partner know when she changes her will? Well, how do you know when your partner changes his will? You wouldn't know that, so there's no control. Right. Let's put it the other way. Your Your partner dies and his wife gets stock in the company. Now, you got to go ahead and deal with her in running this company, and you don't want to deal with her, and she doesn't know how to. And so, but she's got these stock certificates. Okay. All right. So, the way I prefer to see it is where the company buys life insurance on the two of you for the value of the stock. Okay. Now, if your partner dies, then the beneficiary of the policy is the corporation. And there is a buy-sell agreement that says the corporation must use that money to purchase the stock from your partner's widow, which means that the proceeds come back to the corporation. The corporation then turns around and gives them to her. She gives the corporation back its certificates, and you're the sole remaining shareholder.
5: Does that change the value of the company in any way? Are there any tax consequences there?
1: Well, there are some pros and cons tax-wise in both the cross-purchase and the stock redemption method, and I would have to go out and sp- I have to go ahead and spend some time with you, laying out the pros and cons of each. Mm-hmm. But uh, I I generally like the method of a stock redemption because I uh, you can use it all as um, you know as a deductible expense to the corporation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yes, it will go ahead and increase the value, you know. Uh, of the corporation, but I don't think that's a major issue here. I think, uh, I generally prefer that one, but I think that's probably as far as I should go on the air with this one because, uh, I need to get a lot more facts in front of me before I go any further. But I think the stock redemption versus the cross purchase, uh, makes little, And you can usually get the insurance cheaper. Mm-hmm. Okay. And by the way, how old are you guys? 36. Thirty-six. You might want to go ahead and get a level term policies, which are dirt cheap. Okay. Well, that's what we have, as a matter of fact. Yeah, level term policies. You know, for the next 10, well, you could get 20 year level term policies on, stuff, uh, on, on for something like this, and eventually you'll be able to go ahead and uh, self fund the buy sell. Right.
5: Not being familiar with the stock redemption uh, scenario that you've thrown out here, I'm going to mull that over a little bit. I may want to give you a call and come out and speak with you about
1: it. Sure, welcome to.
2: That number in Raleigh is 919 872 7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Okay. Thank you for calling, Bobby. Thanks, Doug. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye now.
2: Well, Doug, um, what's new in the world of investment planning?
1: Well, I think the question of annuities never goes away. Uh, and uh, there was an article, uh, I was from the Wall Street Journal, written by Kelly Green, who talked about surrendering an annuity.
2: Yes, I remember meeting Kelly. You remember we were Kelly at Green a, a Washington and Lee reunion.
1: Huh? I was happy to find out because I went to WNL University years ago and Kelly went to WNL and now she's writing for the Wall Street Journal, but I enjoyed her article there because variable annuities, they combine a 401k like investment account with the equivalent of an insurance policy. They appeal to investors approaching retirement with sort of like a promise of guaranteed regular payments that could reset higher if the policy's underlying investments do well. But the products usually have higher fees than plain vanilla immediate annuities, which just start paying right away. So we've got this issue of what about surrendering the annuity? Now variable annuities, by the way, are complicated enough Consumers and investors are so confused that the SEC has recently issued an investor bulletin just this past month explaining how they work because they are very complicated. And as you know, most of the time on this program, we have advised against going into annuities except for the purpose of immediate annuities and special situations. So
2: basically... This article is quoted as saying that insurers have sent out a flurry of letters in the past year informing annuity owners that their accounts are being shifted into more conservative investment options unless the
1: owners opt out. Right. That's Polite language for we want you to surrender your annuity. We want you to get out of it because they're just expensive now to the insurance companies and so forth. Well, so the question is, all right, if I opt out, then the question becomes, well, when should you consider getting out of an annuity that has a guarantee? And I would say... Uh, A couple of situations. Number one, if you are not seeking income as the main goal, if that's not the main reason you got this thing and you're needing income, then you ought to consider getting out.
2: Certainly, if if you've been diagnosed with a medical condition that severely shortens your life and your life expectancy, or if you have a dire need for a lump sum of cash... That would be the time to surrender it.
1: So we've got three cases that you should accept the offer and just get out. Yes, Linda, you're exactly right.
3: If you have a question and would like to ask it either after hours or have me call you back after the show, feel free to call the office, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000.
1: Now, there's other things that are going on inside these annuities, though. Uh, the, the fee...
3: That's what most people think about with annuities. I mean, I know we bring it up a lot. We
1: bring it up. Unfortunately, Deborah, I don't think many people do think about it. Yeah, <laughs> well, you're hopefully right.
3: Listeners th- are thinking <clears throat> about it now that
1: we bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So and, and certainly, What's the annual Yeah, yeah. You, no, you need I'm to ask sorry, the Linda. question, yeah. right? Well, it's tough asking those questions. Do you know what the average annual fee inside of an annuity is? The annual fee, that's the fee every year to keep that annuity going? Well, here are saying it's approximately 3.4%. Almost 3.5% a year. Now, you compare that to a money manager. That's even on the high end at 1 to one 1.5. Yeah, we don't even think you should pay that much. Right. But money managers on the high end are charging 1% to 1.5% a year. And the annuity is charging almost 3.5% a year. So, you're paying a lot of money there for having... Layers of professionals. Uh, yeah, you, you what know, you're really to manage doing. Yeah, their you their yeah, investment that it,
3: could be managed yeah, the, without this, all the wrappers. This
1: is not, uh, n- not a good deal from the investment side. Well, then we have to go over to the other side of the annuity. You know, annuities are legally insurance contracts, and that means they've got a death benefit. Most people don't even think about it when they buy an annuity because they, they're sold the annuity. Right. Okay, but there is this matter of the death benefit. So, let's say that you actually, uh, you've got $100,000 in your annuity account. Okay. Okay, that's how much the account is actually, the actual value is. And you bought it because it had a $200,000 guaranteed income amount. Well, once you've gotten a hold of this kind of logic and says, wait a minute, I don't need that. I'd like to get my money out of it. But is there a way I can keep the death benefit and just get my money out and invest the money myself? Yes, there is. What you might do if you had let's say, $200,000 in your guaranteed income amount and an actual account value of 100000 you might take out $99,000 from your annuity, leave $1,000 in that account, and that means you've still got an insurance policy for a $101,000 debt benefit. Wow. And you got your money back out, and now you're able to go forward without paying that 3.4% a year to have your money managed. Wow. Beautiful.
3: Well, at least it solves a problem. I shouldn't say beautiful, but it does solve the problem.
1: Well, you got out of the problem that you're into. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, many people get into annuities because they're sold annuities. They don't just go out and uh, look to who can, how do I buy an annuity? They're sold annuities.
2: And and it's important if, if, if you're needing advice about your portfolio to see, uh, get the facts of what it is you're purchasing and, and as the advisor, someone should disclose what they're being paid as commission on the product, right? There should be full disclosure. And if you have any questions, call us. We'll be happy to see if we can assist you. If you have questions, or call us at the office during the week at Lewis Financial Management at 919 That's 919-USA-7000.
1: And don't forget our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Let's take a caller now. S.E., this is Doug Lewis and Linda Lewis and Deborah Lewis. We are the Lewises. How can we help you this evening?
4: Yeah, I'm 79 years of age. Yes, sir. And I got a little bit of a time of fun. It ain't a whole lot. And I was wondering on the new to how much uh, anything I get, fixed answers, how much could I get per
1: year? Well, that's going to be up to the insurance company. When did you buy the annuity? I haven't bought one yet. Oh, well, you don't want to buy one, I don't think. Why do you want to buy an annuity?
4: Well, I, I want
1: to come in on a, on a steady each month. I see. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about yourself, S.E. What does your present investment portfolio look like? What do you have right now in investments? Get right next to nothing. All right, you have next to nothing. Do you have anything in cash? Yeah, that's what I got in cash. How much do you have in cash? Sixty grand. 60000 I didn't hear you the first time. Sorry, see. So you got $60,000 there in cash. Do you have anything in CDs? No. Okay, nothing in CDs, not, only the cash. What do you have in re, any retirement accounts? None. No retirement accounts. Do you have a pension income coming in? No. You have Social Security only? Right. Right. Okay. Are you married or single, S.E.? I'm married. You're married. So what are your two Social Security checks totaling? I really don't
4: know. Somewhere in the neighborhood about twenty-five to
1: $30,000. right. So if we got twenty-five to 30000 coming in on Social Security income, then uh, right now that's putting you at a zero tax bracket, right? You're not paying any taxes, right? Right. Okay. Do you have any idea what you're living? You don't have a mortgage in your home by any chance, do you?
4: I don't. I don't even know. I don't even one
1: plug next one. Big pardon? I
4: don't own. I don't owe nothing.
1: No debt. I, I like that, S.C. You're a man after my own heart. Okay, so you have no debt and you have thirty thousand income coming in right now. What are your living expenses looking like? Hey,
4: we don't have no idea. My wife cares
1: to that. She does. Well, does she have? <laughs> does she have enough money to, to to cover the expenses or what?
4: Well, yes and no.
1: All right, well, uh, if the if it's more yes than no, then for sure you don't need an annuity. If it's more no than yes, then here's what you might do. All right, a, th- a
2: $60,000. He needs something in the emergency
1: fund, though, right? Well, I think he's okay. Hang on one second. All right.
2: You're listening to Money
3: Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Call 919-872-7000 or visit our website. DougAndLinda.com. Now, do you have
2: any chickens, Essie? No, but I got some mules.
1: <laughs> no chickens, just mules. <laughs> All right. Well, you might. You might. It might work this way. You could go ahead, and with a sixty thousand dollar annuity, you might be able to get, let's say, and I don't have anything in front of me on the annuity side, but I'm going to say that you might be able to go ahead and get maybe three hundred to four hundred a month. Would it eat my annuity up? Yes, it would. In other words, it would not eat your annuity up while you're alive, but it would be gone when you die. There's nothing left. On the other hand, the better way, I think, to do it would be to go ahead and take that 60000 and put it, let's say, in mutual funds that will give you a monthly income that looks and smells like an annuity, and there you might be able to get, hang on, you might be able to get about three hundred a month, but you don't give up your 60,000. dollars in other words, you keep the 60,000 and you're getting the income, but at your death, you the 60,000 doesn't disappear. The There's annuity.
2: Liquidity.
1: Yeah, the annuity at uh, is a contract where you t- basically tell the insurance company, "Here, I'll give you $60,000. You give me a check for the rest of my life." You can even tell. They say you want a big check or a small one. They say the biggest one will end when you die and your wife gets nothing. They say if you want to get it a little smaller, that's called a joint and survivor annuity. We'll give you a smaller check. And then when she dies, then there's still nothing left. We keep it. The problem with that is if you both die tomorrow, the insurance company won. Right. On the other hand, if you don't do the annuity, if you do the mutual funds and you just go ahead and take the income, then the mutual funds are yours and the income is yours, it's sort of like you don't give up your chickens. You keep your chickens and you get the eggs. With the annuity, you give the insurance company the chickens and you say, give me some eggs and if I die soon, you guys win, you can keep my chickens.
4: But if you put it in an annuity fund, so if you put it in an annuity fund and the stock market drops, you, you lose your money, right?
1: Uh, well, on many of them, it, it will work that way. Uh, the, the trick is... In my opinion, look at where the money is being invested. If you, if you, if you want to give up the principal, I mean, in other words, give up your whole thing when you die, then that's a guarantee. That's the way the, the annuity company makes its money. On the other hand, if you want to get the income and the principal, then you choose low-risk mutual funds, and you don't do the annuity. I would I, I, would probably recommend that you not, given the fact that you've got, you know, you at your age, I don't think that I would play the game with the insurance companies on the annuity. I'd do the mutual funds. If you want to call me at my office, S.E., if you'll write down my office number, that's 919-872-7000. Eight seven two seven five. Yes, sir. And speak to Deborah. Deborah's my daughter. Yes, sir. I'll be more than happy to talk to you. And schedule an appointment to meet with me, and then we can take it more in depth from there.
3: Okay, I'll try to do that. Thank
2: Sounds- you a lot. Thank you take- for calling, Essie. Take Bye. care, Bye. and you
1: have a wonderful
2: week.
1: You too. Bye. Thank you, Linda Deborah. We started to talk about the matter of index funds versus actively managed funds at the end of last year and i i alerted our public our listening public that it's going to be more and more in the press this year well indeed it is more in the press this year the average active manager can never beat the index that's a phrase that you hear all the time this phrase has been repeated so many times it almost seems as if it's gospel (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they can't beat the index actually There is a measure of truth there, but taken as a whole, on average, active managers did beat their benchmarks about half of the time. But we have to remember, not all active managers are average. And that's the important part. That is, some investment managers have distinguished themselves with a proven track record of consistently outpacing index funds. And... So this matter of what kind of fund do I want? Do I want an index fund or do I want an actively managed fund is very important. There have been a lot of articles recently that are touting the index as uh, this is the way to go. Index investing. They've reignited the whole issue.
3: And several of them have cast a negative spotlight on actively managed (laughs) funds and their fees and returns.
1: That's right, Deborah. Well, I'm glad that Don Phillips, the, uh, uh, the editor of Morningstar. What did he say? He jumped into the fray and he said the active versus passive debate has been grossly overplayed to the detriment of many fine actively managed fund shops and to the intelligent invest, investment discourse. You see, the argument for the superiority of index investing over active investments has been accepted and adopted by a significant number of academics, and yet active management, so the argument goes, is... Is unable to outpace any respective index for a variety of reasons ranging from the drag posed by fees to the efficient market hypothesis.
3: And this is what this is what they were saying. That's right. Okay. All right. But much of the literature in favor of index investing uses quote the average active manager end quote to make this point. So they're they're bringing in this whole broad. Um, uh, you know, um, I guess, uh, paraphrasing that, that every, lumping everybody together. And we believe this is a flawed way to frame the issue, akin to concluding that because an average person cannot dunk a basketball, that no one can dunk a basketball. That's right. David. Well, <laughs> obviously some are playing at a higher level and using the average to characterize an entire industry obscures the fact that there are investment managers that have consistently added value over a variety of market cycles.
1: That's right. Right. So you go year by year by year and you realize, wow, there are some real active Mm -hmm. managers that are beating the indexes. Mm -hmm. Why do I have to go ahead and suffer just Mm -hmm. index investing to go with the index investing, I think, is not the way to go. You need to look for active managers that have consistently outperformed their index year after year after year.
3: And I think that's the biggest thing that people can do is, is look for, look for it based on the manager. Who's managing the money? Because if you're writing a check for anything that's large in your life, much less your financial future, you want to know who you're handing that money to. You want to know who that manager is.
1: I like that thought, Deborah, because if I'm going to give $50,000 to an index fund, to me, it's like throwing it into a black hole and let's see what happens Hoping when it's the in there. Hoping it's for the best. It's a very volatile posture. It is volatile, And Linda. Uh, Yeah. But I want to know, as Deborah said, I want to know who's doing it. Mm-hmm. Who's handling the money? How are they investing? Are they trying to beat the index? And have they done so year after year?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Doug, Linda, a lot of conversation goes on about intergenerational planning and the need to get talking now, you, you know, with your children.
1: <laughs> You're or right, because clients and their children, they, they have to start talking about how to prepare for things like long-term nursing care and inheritance issues before problems arise and conflicts arise. And so financial planners have to be the ones to start the conversation.
2: And it can be very complicated, but these are the issues that definitely need to be discussed. And many clients spend a lifetime building these assets.
3: So, but then at the end, they're not prepared for issues like the cost of long-term care. If this sounds like you, definitely call during the week at 919-872-7000.
2: That's 919-872-7000. And many haven't properly planned for the worst case scenarios. And they aren't aware of the potential cost. So, you know, as we know historically, uh, that people are living longer. And, you know, other folks are having strokes. And, but they're still living longer, right? They are. And so a lot of these conversations about what to do, oft ignored
3: issues are, the, the many of our clients encounter with their children is how to portion out the inheritance once they've, uh, they're gone themselves. And clients and their children often aren't prepared to deal with the question as to what to do with the favorite vacation home or other pieces of inheritance that need to be divided and whether we need to decide to sell the house or keep it because it has sentimental value, but none of us wants to visit it. So these are the types of issues.
2: And there's also a question about how assets should be divided. Parents may want to give a larger financial inheritance to one of their children because there's a definite need. Yet, it can come as a rude shock to siblings... If one child receives more than the others. And like we always say, the parents and
3: the children discussing these issues and other issues ahead of time, especially if the parents don't intend to divide equally their assets, you can avoid a lot of conflict, a lot of hurt feelings, and the whole key is communication.
2: Very well said. Let's take another caller, Doug.
1: Carol, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
6: Question about a portfolio and a retirement question. All right. 57 and 56 years old, couple, no heirs. Okay. Okay. Portfolio, probably about between about 450 to five, made up three-fourths uh, in IRAs and 401ks. Can you see any way to package something like that so that retirement could happen now?
1: Yes, there is a way that we can do that. Let's break down the couple so I know who's got what that we're talking about. Okay. Give me the husband. Uh, what does he have?
6: 120
1: 401k. 120 in the 401k. hmm What else does he have in his name? Our, uh, about 30. All right, so that's about 150,000 that we've got that's over in his name so far. Uh-huh. And of the 450 to 500, the rest of it's all in her name?
6: She is uh, about, I would say, about a hundred of hers is IRA or 401K. And the rest... That is in joint stuff, you know, savings like uh, equity in a home. and...
1: Oh, that doesn't count. I'm talking about money to live on. Money
6: to live on, okay. Of that figure I gave you, then back out about 160 because
1: that's home equity. All right, of the of the 450, 160 mm-hmm. numbers are getting a little close now. If I take yeah, I know 450 minus uh, yeah. 160 two hundred and ninety thousand if all they've got to work with is two hundred and ninety thousand, both qualified and non qualified monies. But is she still working? Yes. All right, so what's her income?
6: Uh seventy five, eighty.
1: All right, now then what are the living expenses?
6: About five grand a month. But what? probably could be four.
1: Well then we don't have a problem to have to live on. No, but they both want to retire. Oh, I see. You're saying that they're 57 years old and 56 years old. Right. She's still working, and she's making about 80000 but she'd like to retire, and his retirement monies total about 150000 combined IRA and 401Ks. Mm-hmm. Her retirement monies, it looked like they were about $100,000, and all the whole kit and caboodle of what they have jointly and the two retirement accounts total $290,000. mm hmm that's it, right. Okay. You can take the entire two hundred and ninety thousand uh-huh. and if we need to somehow come up with five thousand a month in income off of it. I don't think we do. I think we need how much do we need? I think we really need thirty five to four. All right, that's doable. We can structure an investment portfolio. Then we can go ahead and work out a systematic withdrawal payment schedule coming out of those. The people who get hurt on an annuitization program are the ultimate heirs, the children.
6: Right, and there are honor. Right.
1: Right. The people who work out well are the living ones because it's structured for them. And so there are a number of annuitization programs. But the first thing I'd want to do is analyze the living expenses. And if you'll call my office, I think that's probably the way that we would approach it.
2: Okay. Tell me the name of your firm again. The name of the firm is Lewis Financial Management. Right. And the number to call in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. Okay. That's 919-USA-7000. Gotcha. Well, this has been very interesting, Carol, and uh, thank you for calling the show. All right. And if you'd like uh, further information, and we do have a living expense worksheet that I could send you in the introductory packet. Okay. Just call the office. We'll give you a call. All right. Thanks for calling. All right. Take care.
1: Yeah. You know, before the show ends tonight, I'd like to at least remind us, that uh, the listeners, that there is a real easy way for heirs to inherit your home by using the life estate method. And I like that a lot because that avoids probate, where you can go ahead and let mom and dad, if they own the home, they can transfer the deed to a child, but have a life estate written on it. And that means at death, it totally avoids probate. So now, is this going to reduce their gross estate Actually, it's not okay. It's still in the taxable estate, but it avoids the uh, the matter of probate. Okay, so we don't we don't want to have the court decide where it's going to go. That's right. That's right. One drawback of the life estate is that it limits the flexibility. Though you can't sell your home or change the heir or heirs without the consent of those who are named on the life estate. So uh, you know that is one small little thing. Uh, there are some interesting tax caveats. But all in all, I think it's a great way to go ahead and get it out of probate.
3: So, and then, you know, this is a good uh, estate planning issue to where we know that uh, a lot of people are thinking about. So if you have a question this week, give us a call. 919-872-7000.
1: And you can also go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. DougAndLinda.com.
3: Some questions that have come up recently in regard to those employer plans are employer plans that now offer Roth as an option. So the, the real question is, is a Roth 401k the best choice for your retirement? Now, best choice, a good choice, the right choice for you, all of this you need to meet with a certified financial planner and find out. But in general, the Roth 401k has some specific benefits. So here's an overview of some of them. And you know maybe you'll make an appointment to come see us and see if whether or not this is uh, gonna be a good fit for you.
1: Yeah, the first thing to realize is that you need to know what is a Roth 401k and how it differs from a traditional 401k plan. You know, in many ways, a Roth 401k is similar to the traditional 401k retirement plan. That is, both accounts allow you to withhold from your paycheck certain money that can be invested in an assortment of mutual funds, both account types also allow your money to compound until you retire and permit retirement withdrawals anytime after age 59 and a half. But there are major differences between the Roth 401k and the traditional version, uh, and that difference is with regard to the tax treatment
3: Uh aha in a traditional 401k plan your contributions are made on a pre-tax basis so in other words you don't pay taxes on that portion of your income now but the money you receive from your account in retirement will be subject to taxation for this reason, a traditional 401k is known as a tax-deferred retirement account.
1: That's the traditional 401k. That's right. Now, the, the Roth 401k, right. on the other hand, is different. Here, current contributions that you contribute still count toward your taxable income, but any withdrawals that you make in retirement are 100% tax-free. Okay. So your contributions actually cost more in an immediate sense which is one possible negative of the Roth 401k. For example, if you contribute $5,000 of your salary to a Roth 401k and you're in the 25% tax bracket, your contribution is actually costing you $6,250, whereas a traditional 401 contribution would be just costing you $5,000 because you've already paid the taxes on the Roth 401k.
3: If you need help, call me, Deborah Lewis, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. 919 872 So what's the long-term effect? Well, the long-term effect is that you'll have more usable money once you reach retirement. Contributions of $5,000 per year for 35 years could grow to more than 744000 if we assume 7% average annual investment returns.
2: Now, what is it with the Roth account?
1: Well, with the Roth account, you'd effectively end up with more money since you could literally withdraw the entire amount without paying a penny in taxes. When you take it out, it's all tax-free, whereas if you took out that 744,000 from the traditional Roth, I mean the traditional 401k, it would cost you hundreds of thousands of taxes. So if you're in a higher tax bracket by the time you retire, paying more now could work in your favor.
3: Okay, so basically it boils down to when you'd rather pay taxes, now or after you retire.
1: That's right. And there is another major difference, and that is that there are no required minimum distributions in the Roth 401k. Both account types, they allow your investments to compound year after year without paying capital gains taxes, dividend taxes, and both accounts allow your employer to do a certain amount of match.
2: What I wanted to say is that for um, some of our listeners out there, what we do in our firm is... We do hypotheticals, right, Doug and Deborah? So that we can assist you in looking at the big picture because, you know, you're going to look at all the sources of your income in retirement. So you're going to look at if you have a pension, you're going to look at Social Security. Maybe you're taking some investment income. Maybe you've got some rental income if you've got rental properties. But whatever the sources of income you want to determine what am I going to do with this extra income? What about the taxes? This is what we do in our firm. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's all of those areas that come together.
3: It's deciding how where you want to put excess income that you are not using to live off of, which is what a retirement plan contribution is. If you have excess income that doesn't need to be investing, then you have that opportunity. You're right, Dubs.
1: You know, uh, yesterday at our Lewis Financial event, there was some clients of ours that had uh, achieved financial independence and they were enjoying some time uh, cruising in South America. And they told us they'd met some young people who are actually stuffing their money away actually literally in the mattress because they didn't know what to do with it. (laughs)
2: Literally.
1: (laughs) Literally, yeah. I thought they were joking. But it's very sad. We joke about it, but it's sad to think that there are people who really don't know what to do, right? and these particular people, they're young people, they have the right. benefit of time and compounding, they don't have any ability, they have the ability to really achieve what older folks can't do, but I, I do chuckle that uh, uh, <laughs> it is a matter of getting the proper advice about where you should put your money and how to get it working for you.
2: Well, I think it was, it's its, it's probably been 20 years, but I remember we had, had someone that, uh, was had about eighty five thousand dollars under their mattress. I that remember. Call, remember that was a caller I remember yeah. twenty years ago. <laughs>